Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Grr, good dog. That's some bad hat not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damas Leary and that's my dog Pearl in the background. <laughs> and today we'll be discussing <laughs> It's a Sin. And to help us do that, we are joined once again by host of the Swapcast podcast and sometimes third chair of this podcast, Mr. Paul Mitzi. How you doing, Paul? Good, thanks. Still emotionally recovering from finishing the show last night, but otherwise, all good. <laughs> from finishing oh, the show. Nice. Is this the first time through? This, this must be your second time through. No, the first time. So I saw. I started watching it a while back. Yeah. Uh, like when it first started airing. Um, and I didn't want it to end like straight away. Sure. So I made sure I didn't binge it and like watch like one episode like every week. Mm. Wow. Now. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's an emotionally responsible way to do it, I think. And I also was dreading because I knew that the last episode was going to be a rough ride for me. And I just <laughs> I was avoiding it for as long as possible. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so what's happening with Swapcast Podcast? Um, uh, we were on an episode recently uh, yeah. when you guys were reviewing Soul, the Pixar Soul film. Yeah, so that was the last episode we uh, uploaded with you guys, which I think turned out pretty fun. So if you guys are a, a fan of Hunting Seasons, make sure you pop on over and listen to that. Um, we dived into the various controversies behind Soul and its places in the body-swapping canon, mm-hmm. So, uh, which I think was a pretty interesting d- discussion. Um, our next episode is going to be on the Korean body-swap comedy the Dude in Me, which is a... Um, it's a great title. Hi- yes, and it's like a high school comedy mixed with a gangster movie, mixed with an action movie, um, mixed with a melodrama, uh, and it's actually a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, come listen to us Excellent. talk about that. Definitely highly recommend checking out Swapcast Podcast, especially if you're a fan of the body swap film genre. Uh, and who isn't? And who isn't, really? <laughs> um, what else have you been watching recently, Paul? You were, Before we started recording, you were discussing a movie you've been watching. Yeah, so I recently went and saw the new Studio Ghibli movie, uh, Earwig and the Witch, uh, which wasn't very good, which kind of pains me to say about a Studio Ghibli movie because mm. I am obsessed with Studio Ghibli. Uh, this one missed the mark, their first CG animated film. Um, and... They should just go back to 2D animation. I Uh hope they can go back to 2D animation. Mm. Um, But the storytelling on top of the animation is is pretty garbage. So um, probably just wait for for streaming for that one. I'm sure it'll hit Netflix at some point. Um, 
I've got another anti... Oh, sorry, I don't have any actual recommendations. I've got anti-recommendations <laughs> today. That's good. We're uh, saving people. That's good too. <laughs> uh, so I know a lot of people that would have watched this in Australia would be watching on Stan. And at the moment, um, there's a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race on Stan mm-hmm. as well. So I'm sure there's a lot of crossover between those two things. And they just put a movie up on the service, which kind of mixes the two called Stage Mother, which stars um, Jackie Weaver, Adrian Grenier and Lucy Liu. Oh, yes. I saw the trailer for that. um, And it made me go, I don't think I want to watch that. But please tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. So it's about a mother who disowns her gay son when he comes out. And then he, uh, this sends him into like a spiraling depression and he ends up um, dying of an overdose. And then when she finds this out, she goes to visit like his boyfriend and finds out he actually owned a, a drag gay club and decides to take over the, the, the club and run it her way. And then, you know her like southern charm she ends up running the gay club better than her gay son ever did and Fuck, this sounds uh, awful yeah it it i can see where they were going i see what they were going for and i think the heart their heart was probably in the right place it was a queer filmmaker that made this but it just and like watching it's a sin especially the last episode of it's a sin made me retroactively like hate stage mother sure. like i uh, after watching it, I was like, uh, it was pretty average, but whatever. And then after It's a Sin, I'm like, no, actually, I fucking hate that movie. That, <laughs> like, it's actually a hate crime. Yeah, so, it reminded me um, of, um, I saw a movie poster recently of a film. I think it's called Southern Sun. And it's a okay. story about a Ku Klux Klan member who, I don't know, through life lessons, I'm sure from black people decides that black people aren't monsters and then joins the mm. civil rights movement. I'm like, do we need these redemptive stories of like racists and homophobes learning lessons from the the people that they have victimized? Like I mean, do we it wins need Oscars, that story? right? Fucking green book. Yeah. Yeah. It just yeah, it just felt very tone deaf. This whole film just felt very tone deaf. And, like, despite Jackie Weaver, like, she can really do no wrong in She's terms great, of yeah. the performance. But, um, yeah, definitely give Stage Mother a mix. A miss, sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You're traumatized uh, from it. It's okay. <laughs> Damask, what have you been up to? Oh, great question. Um, speaking of RuPaul's Drag Race, I just finished the latest episode of the US version of that and I just like because the UK and the US versions are coming out side by side at the moment and I just I feel like UK is just kicking its ass right now in terms Mm -hmm. of like stories and character like it it really does feel like earlier seasons of RuPaul's and everyone on it is either just so funny or so charming or just genuinely interesting and the US one there's just a bunch of either duds boring people or mean girls and i'm just not feeling it yeah i'm on i'm on board with that i mean i'm enjoying both seasons but the uk is definitely Mm. the superior of the two yeah meanwhile uh we watched the super bowl last night damask we We did well i stayed spoiler free managed Mm. to avoid the scores all day the waste of energy that was. <laughs> Rubbish game of NFL. I haven't followed it. Was, the sport, it really I was really was, I think, that. the worst NFL game I've ever seen. It was a piece of shit. 
It was so yeah, boring. Did not but how was the halftime show? Actually, we, we were it. outside <laughs> avoiding it. Yeah, I'm did just not, not interested. That was the only football. part I'd be interested in. Well, I'm not interested in most men performing the halftime show. Give me a female mm. performer, and I'll probably sit for it. But I don't know. I just wasn't that this interested. Is the thing. This is a sport that Damask is actually properly interested in. Like she watches more of this than I do. I'm meant to be the sports head here. Yeah, I mean, but, I wouldn't uh, call myself an expert um, at all, <laughs> but I do watch watch it, and I yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the drama of it. And last before night we, was not dramatic. Before we move on to our spoiler-free review of It's a Sin, I did want to mention because I didn't do this last week with our review. Uh, what did we review last week? I've forgotten already. Ted Lasso. Thank you, Ted Lasso, which was <laughs> I was excellent. Say, I don't remember either. <laughs> Paul does. So that's good. <laughs> That was I was very happy that we uh, reviewed that, that episode, not be, or that show, not just because it was a great episode, but that was our hundred and fiftieth review episode. It turns out, yeah, crazy, uh, which is a lot, and <laughs> I don't know how that milestone passed me by. Mm. I would have celebrated a bit more if I realized at the time, but yeah, when I got to actually uploading the episode, I was like, oh, this is episode one fifty. Okay, there you go. Uh, that's pretty full on. So there you go. We've reached that milestone. Um, Hopefully. Congrats, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> That's a lot of television. I was trying to figure out, like, what's the average length of a season that we've, re- we've uh, reviewed and then how much time have we spent not Don't just reviewing it, about it, bro. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm really glad Ted Lasso was that 150th episode. Mm. I think that was a perfect show to have on that, that milestone. Anyway, let's get moving and get to our spoiler-free review of It's a Sin. Let me clue you in. Season in review. It's a Sin is a British television five-part drama miniseries written and created by Russell T. Davies, creator of Queer as Folk and showrunner of Doctor Who for its 21st century revival and through the Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant eras, which centres around a group of gay men and their friends living in London through the United Kingdom's HIV slash AIDS crisis of the 1980s. The show premiered in the United Kingdom on Channel 4 on the 22nd of January 2021 and stars Ollie Alexander, Omari Douglas, Callum Scott Howes, Lydia West, Nathaniel Curtis, David Carlyle, Neil Patrick Harris and Stephen Fry. It's a Sin consists of five episodes, each coming in at around 47 minutes and took us approximately three hours and 55 minutes to watch. The show is available to stream in Australia on Stan and will be streamed on HBO Max in the United States beginning February 18th, 2021. So, before we get to our review, guys, just wanted to ask you both, how familiar are you with the work of Russell T Davies and in particular his previous show uh, related to the world of gay men? Uh, and gay women, I assume, because I've never actually seen it myself, are queer as folk. Paul? Uh, so I've definitely watched the UK queer as folk the whole way through, mm-hmm. um, which I enjoyed, but that is a film that, uh, that is a show I feel that like completely shit the bed in the ending. Like the last episode's awful. Oh. Um, but in terms of like its place in like queer canon and, and queer culture, like it can't be refuted how influential that show was and mm-hmm. how it, it, gave like a voice and representation at a time where there really wasn't much at all. That was the introduction of, of queer culture to so many people. So it's such an important show. And I really enjoyed the uh, American remake of it as well. Um, that, uh, premiered a few years after that one did. Uh, I didn't watch any Doctor Who. Um, and I think I've caught an episode of, Banana and Cucumber, his other show, but um, mm-hmm. that's one I'm, I've been meaning to actually watch. Um, and after this, it's 
definitely uh, encouraged me to go seek that one out. Sure. Damask? Um, I didn't even know that Queer as Folk started off as a UK thing until this very moment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no idea. I watched the, um, I think it was Canadian. It felt very Canadian. Um, yeah. The, yeah, the remake as a, a young girl being like, oh, scandalous. And yes, there were <laughs> lesbians in that one, but they, of course, were just boring and married with children. It was very dull. Um, I obviously watched Doctor Who and David Tennant's run is my favourite. So, I'm a fan of his work through that. I think that's it. I don't know. I, yeah, I think that's as far as my knowledge of his work goes. Yeah, I didn't watch Queer as Folk, but I remember it being on SBS in Australia. Very aware of it at the time, but I don't think... Yeah, not something I watched. As much as I was watching Evangelion South Park, apparently I wasn't watching Queer as Folk. <laughs> um, I was watching Doctor Who, though. I got into Doctor Who during the Russell T Davies era. David Tennant was my favourite Doctor. Uh, he got booted for Matt Smith. That's another story. Um, so very appreciative of what he did to bring Doctor Who back to the screen. Also, he did Torchwood or a lot of the Torchwood series, which I've seen smatterings of, a season here or two thereof. Um, and beyond that, not much. I've been meaning to check out Years and Years, which I think was the probably the TV show just previous to It's a Sin, actually, which starred uh, Emma... What's her name? Thompson. Emma Thompson. And mm. looked really interesting. It was like a... Almost oh, like yes. a Vendetta, like that. Yeah. Progression mm. into like tyranny sort of story about how the UK could turn into like an oppressive government sort of thing literally over years and years through these election cycles. Mm. I remember seeing the trailer and I think it was really interesting and I think it reviewed okay. I think it was really depressing is what I heard. So Mm. I guess he's really falling into that at the moment. Mm. Just really depressing stuff for people. (laughs) The the most... uh, Sorry, the most uh, I heard about it was Ollie Alexander, who's the star of this show. He's the lead singer of the band Years and Years. And, oh. when the sh- and when the show Years and Years was on, uh, everyone who would tweet to that what they were thinking they were tweeting to the show's page were tweeting <laughs> to him, and he'd always do these like really sarcastic responses <laughs> um, when they were like criticizing the show. Um, and I, I kind of wonder, maybe that's how he ended up getting in contact with Russell T Davies Imagine. and ended up as the lead I in the hope show. So. <laughs> you owe me, Russell. Uh, put me in your show. <laughs> All right. So, who would like to give their spoiler-free review first? Guests get to go first. You threw us under the bus last week, Paul. After you. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's a Sin is a phenomenal show. What this show achieves in five 45-minute episodes really highlights how bloated and drawn out most modern TV is. There is not a wasted minute in this series spanning many years and several central characters, covering themes both both deeply personal and broadly political, yet never feeling rushed and never sacrificing the audience's connections with the lead characters. And what a group of characters they are. The Pink Palace crew, Richie, Jill, Roscoe, Ash and Colin are characters I will hold dear to my heart from now on. They are all performed beautifully and written with such heart, you just want to reach inside the TV and hug them all. The show is centred around the AIDS crisis of the 1980s, and on top of just being a brilliantly made show, it also serves as a stark reminder of what the gay community has overcome. To think that the show is set entirely within my lifetime and shows how men, just like me, 
were not only getting sick and dying in unprecedented numbers, but how society just let it happen and rejoiced as it was happening. To think if I was born 20 years earlier, I could have been the one dying, scared and alone in a locked hospital room. Many of the policymakers, journalists and academics of the time who allowed this to happen still have influence and power. It's a Sin is a show that needs to be seen. It's also a show that will save lives. HIV testing rates have gone up in the UK since the show premiered. I adored this show. It affected me on a level I don't think any other show or movie for that matter has ever done before. And I think it will be a permanent staple in the gay pop culture canon from now on. Wow. Mm, Amen. Now, Paul has a history of bringing us shows that we somehow just shit on and dislike. (laughs) Damask, is he going to continue that trend with us tonight? No, no. The the trend (laughs) is... The curse is broken. The curse is broken, I assure you. Um, I was almost tearing up listening to Paul's review. Um, I I was... (laughs) I was bawling my eyes out as I was writing my review. And so I was like, yeah. oh, that's good. At least I've got my tears out now because I do cry mm. on this show from time to time. Um, yeah. So that it, it, it may happen again. So just, just everyone prepare for that for a few awkward yeah. seconds throughout this. All right. Any regular listeners are, are ready. It's fine to mess. <laughs> that's true. They should always be prepared. You're right. Um, okay. So I put off writing this review. I cleaned my whole house just so I wouldn't have to. There is a lot to say, but I am unsure as to how to express my feelings about this particular five-part journey. It's emotional and it seems to expand in my chest whenever I think about it. It's a Sin is taxing in many ways. The subject matter of the AIDS crisis in the 80s isn't light by any means. Thankfully, though, this show does spark a balance of the light with the dark. Making a show about a virus that wiped out a generation of young men all over the world is a big task. It could be overwhelming in scope very easily. This show, thankfully, approached the macro by focusing on the micro. We zoom into the story of one friendship group, and while death swirls around them all, each character has a vibrancy that comes from being so full of life. Joy can be found in the love they find in one another, Many scenes are filled with laughter, encouragement, and hope, and the memories of those gloriously youthful experiences have an undeniable presence in the scenes of unparalleled despair. The horror of impending destruction makes this a hard show to binge, so I didn't. One episode a night is all I could stomach. In fact, more than once, I ended an episode in heaving cries, It kept me up at night. I was filled with sadness for days after certain episodes. By starting the show with quite a universal experience, that of discovering adult friendships and freedom beyond familial ties, it makes this a more relatable watch than I was expecting. The bonds created through raucous nights out and innocently irresponsible adventures were such an integral part of leaving behind childhood for me that this was a relatable aspect to a show about an event that I have come nowhere close to experiencing myself. So this show has that framework that a lot of audience members can relate to. What you're seeing on the screen looks so familiar. You watch it and you think, there I am, there my friends are, we've done that, we do that. 
And then the rug is pulled out from under you. You fall to the ground and chip a tooth and you think, wait, I thought we were having innocent fun. Why am I left here bleeding? It's shocking to see and it makes for compelling television. As a baby queer, I read and watched lots about the AIDS crisis and I have felt deep sadness when learning about the horrors of the virus itself and felt anger at the lack of care provided by those who should have done so much more or, you know, done anything at all. But this experience of watching It's a Sin was something else. It feels personal. The deprivation of a future, one that as a young person you feel guaranteed, to remove that and to see it ripped from people's hands, people that you have developed an attachment to over the season, is pretty unbearable. It feels traumatic, as it should. It's a sin it takes the crisis from conceptual to personal. You know, a lot of my closest and dearest friends are gay men. Some of my favorite memories are, here it comes, are of going out, of having adventures, and of course, staying at home, drinking cheap sparkling, and finding family in one another. And if if this happened to them, I, I couldn't recover. The loss of that family would be so severe. And to imagine losing not only your immediate queer family, but your global one too, is just, it's too much to take. And this was a very upsetting TV experience for me, and I'm sure for many people, but I'm so thankful to have had it. It's an important part of queer history and one that shouldn't be coldly read about in books, but like viscerally felt. This was only 30 years ago. The mourning should continue, as should the celebration of such wild vibrancy that each person gave to the world while they were still here. Now, as a show, it is well constructed, as Paul was saying, like they take up every minute to tell you so much and I think though there are a few corners here and there that they cut narratively but for only having five parts it's incredible how much they manage to fit in this show will stay with me for quite a while I recommend it I really do but it will be a hard watch that's my review Um, something I just wanted to to jump on there that you were saying about how maybe it felt like there were a few corners that were cut or whatnot. Mm. In researching the background of the show, apparently this was originally pitched to the BBC Mm. as being an eight-part series. Mm. And eventually Channel 4 picked it up under the the proviso that was condensed down to a five-part series. So I kind of, if I'm being extremely hypercritical for a second, this does not reflect my thoughts on the show overall. There are a couple of characters or moments I feel like or parts of the show I'm like I feel like there could have been a bit more there Mm -hmm. I think just down to literal logistics it didn't happen unfortunately I agree Um, even as I was watching it I was like I see the moves being made and why they're made and it was just happening very quickly that's all at very like few points during the show but yeah that makes a lot of sense to me that yeah it it could have easily been an eight-part series yeah, and this was like a broadcast series, so they really had the constraint of the episode lengths as well. So mm. I was reading a listen uh, interview with the creator, and he was talking about there's an episode where um, Ash is making this giant speech about um, the banning of queer books at schools, mm-hmm. and he was just praying the whole time that the episode would come 
to the right length so that he wouldn't have to cut that out because he sure. knew that they would make him cut that out because it wasn't integral to the plot. It wasn't yeah. essential. As powerful yeah. or as like, uh, insightful as it was, it wasn't an, inter- as you said, integral part or essential part of the story. Yeah, you could have easily yeah. cut that. If forced to, I mean. But yeah. no, you didn't. Um, I'm going to be a little bit honest with you for a second. I finished watching the show at my lunch break at work today. Mm. So I haven't had a lot of time to write <laughs> anything. And I can't compete with just what came before me from you two, so I'm having you a try. So it's going to be a very brief review. Were you crying um, into your sandwich? That would have been a very intense <laughs> lunch break. Honestly, uh, actually, the very, very end, and I'm not going to talk spoilers here at all, yeah. I wasn't necessarily crying at any other moment in the show, as effective as it was. Mm. It wasn't one of those moments where you cry. The fucking very end, though, mm. uh, for some reason, one of the last images really got me. I think it was just emblematic of... Yeah, I can't talk about it. It's spoilers. But that was like, oh shit, I'm a I'm I have to start working another half an hour. I can't do this. Uh yeah, that got me. Um I like what you're saying about how personal this show feels. I think that's probably the magic dust that makes this show so special. There's a part of me that looked at this show as we're starting off. It's like, oh, we've just watched Pose recently, which was set during a very similar era and was centered on this same disease, uh, just set in New York. And we've watched another show that was also set during the Margaret Thatcher era and centered on Margaret, Margaret Thatcher in the UK. It's like, this could be familiar in some ways. But this show is completely unique from those in a many, many different ways. But I think what you said about how personal this feels, how much I think Russell T Davies and anybody else involved with the show has put into this that makes it so incredible is spot on. It is just masterfully written and constructed. Very little in this show is wasted. Nearly every part of it has purpose in ways that I didn't expect, but just shows the experience that Russell T Davies has as a TV writer. He is incredible at his craft. Um The most important thing this show does, and you were talking about this, Paul, is make you care about these characters so quickly. It's only five episodes, and immediately I'm attached and connected to these characters. And that comes down to the excellent writing, the fantastic direction, and the performances from these people. It is just worth applauding. The the show from other craft points, whether it's like soundtrack or cinematography stuff, isn't necessarily pushing the envelope like some other shows of this modern era of golden television or platinum television might do, but it does everything it needs to so solidly. Mechanically, this is just a solid, solid show. It knows surgically how to get from point A to point B and have the effect it wants on the audience. It is incredible. It is beautiful, but it is brutal this show on so many levels and that's also what part is part of the magic but this isn't just about the misery it's a look at the whole era from when this started as a rumor to when it became something something that resembles closer to what our sort of experience with aids is now and in doing so what surprised me the most at the end was just exactly what its final message or perspective was um the final episode for parts of it, I was like, oh, this might be my least favorite episode. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And then the the shoe drops and I was like, no, this was the most important episode and ties everything that came before it together in such an incredible way. Um, you were talking about this being essential viewing and I 100% agree. The ultimate thesis of this show is something that everybody should watch, queer or otherwise. It It is extremely important. 
if I had to compare it, I've already tried to compare it to Pose or to uh, The Crown. If there's one show that we've watched recently that I do think this has comparisons to, it's I May Destroy You in terms it has a similar importance and master of its message and storytelling. Um, and I can't think of a higher praise than to compare it to that show. It is it is exceptional. Uh, Paul, what would you score It's a Sin out of five stars? Can you do higher than five? <laughs> um, uh, I Definitely five. Five for sure. No question. Damask? Um, uh, <clears throat> it was really hard to rate this one yeah. because really emotionally affecting and important in terms of what it's doing as a TV show. Uh, amazing for a five-part series. I, but I think I'm going to give it like a really strong four. Really strong. Okay. I am going to... Give it five stars. And I was... Right, now I was I'm the on, homophobe. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, was te- I was teetering on a 4.5, um, may- may- mainly for some of the things that I talked about possibly being limitations of it being turned from an eight-part series to a five-part series, or mm. what we suspect is that. Um, but I also thought about, like, I gave Ted Lasso, which I... So this show is a show that is so important that everyone needs to watch it. Mm. Ted Lasso is a show that I adore with my whole heart and I gave it a 4.5. And I'm like, oh, can I give this show a higher score than that one considering how much I can't stop gushing about that show? And the answer is yes. Because the reason I didn't give Ted Lasso a 5 is because I felt like it had room to grow. This show is complete. It is a full thought. I've never once said this is It's a Sin Season 1 because we're not getting a Season 2. It's mm. a done thing. Yeah, It's a mini series that's complete. And... I think ultimately what it adds up to is so important that I'm going to give it five stars and give it the highest possible rating and try and implore everybody, everybody who listens to this Mm. podcast to watch it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the podcast to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends and family who you think might also enjoy listening. Next week, we'll be back with our review of Bump Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of Bump, or if you have any thoughts on It's a Sin, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast or on Instagram at HuntingSeasonsPodcast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for It's a Sin. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in It's a Sin. Before listening any further, we implore you to watch all of It's a Sin. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I noticed you didn't do a story time. Tonight, Damask, you've been on a roll with them lately. I know, I could have, but then it would have just been like five minutes of me wailing into a microphone crying, so I thought best (laughs) not, best not. Fair enough. Mm. Uh, To begin things, let's just start sort of with how the show begins in some sense. And I think one of the ways to frame the show is how it sort of just tracks sort of the emergence of Mm. HIV and AIDS into the community, starting with like in the very first episodes... We're sort of just dealing with like whispers and rumors. There's one scene early on where I think um, Jill and uh, might have been Richie, I can't remember, are like walking past and you can just hear some people talking about mm-hmm. something in the background. I think when they're at uni. Yeah. Um, how'd you feel about how, how the show started? Yeah, I, I did. I was about to say enjoy, but that's not the right word. But I thought it was an important aspect of the story of the AIDS crisis is just how much misinformation was out there and when you have that scene where he is regaling you with all the different reasons that are out there as to why there is this gay cancer and why gay cancer can't possibly be a thing if Mm. you heard those things you'd be like well this is just anti-gay propaganda like that's what it sounds like and so Mm -hmm. it makes sense that they're so carefree we as the viewers know what's coming and are just like you know wringing our hands being like please don't like please take it seriously but it's such a great way to add that tension right at the beginning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i did love that 
scene where Jill just calls Richie out for like being too clever for his own good. Yeah. Just the way he can rationalize any position he wants. Because mm-hmm. um, I think did I it know remind you like guys that. of? Did it remind you guys of like all the stuff over the last year? Fucking like, oath. Like, yeah, it does. Like <laughs> absolutely. So, you don't so want to believe it. Same. It's easy to just come up with a reason. There'll be someone out there who can give you a reason to think it's bullshit or decide mm-hmm. that you don't want to wear a mask. So mm-hmm. here's my reason why. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that probably gave the show even more of a resonance at the moment because we know what it feels like to have this like emerging disease that no one knows about and there's yeah. all this misinformation and like that that building dread. It's like, oh, this is actually a thing and then it becomes mm-hmm. a thing and then, yeah, then you're dealing with it. It's like... I mean, obviously, it's on a completely different level, but still, um, I, I think it's something a lot of people will be able to relate to when they're watching this now. Definitely. Yeah, they'll have a, a way inside that headspace. It's interesting mm-hmm. what you're saying about misinformation is sort of how it started. In a lot of ways, it was just lack of information yeah, to absolutely. begin with. Yeah. There was just no information available. The fact that Jill had to ask Colin to like, go, when he was in the US... Because the disease was more advanced there, mm. and there was the people were talking about it, it wasn't this hidden thing mm-hmm. uh, to bring back as much material as possible was really, I think, insightful. Then there was the misinformation. I tried to track this actually, so sort of the stages of what happened here and what different groups or people were doing. There was the lack of understanding in the general community and within the gay community. There was then the the secret keeping, so the people who were getting sick sort of felt ashamed by this idea or mm. didn't want to be seen like this and just sort of disappeared into their, you know, into their own insular lives or back home to their families. Uh, then the fear and the paranoia kicks in and then this lack of concern that just seemed to ha- mm. resonate from the rest of the world who weren't involved in this community. The the moment for me where I really just want to punch someone in the face is when Jill was asking the doctor for information and he said, why would I have any of that stuff? Yeah, like, I screamed why would because I be you're a fucking that? doctor. <laughs> It made me so like, mad. As someone who works in healthcare, that's like that was infuriating on a level mm. that, yeah, it was beyond anything else. Mm. What was then? Like, it, sorry. it was the criminality of the entire thing. Mm. Like, oh man, there's just so many levels of how uh, how much the community, the gay community, were let down every mm. step of the fucking mm. way. Yeah, it's even um, more infuriating in my like very early moments in the season when Neil Patrick Harris's character gets sick and is hospitalised and then is quarantined so they know it's infectious. There is clearly information within the medical community, not a total understanding, but clear information that this is what that is. It's highly infectious. And still everyone is just kept in the dark. Like the holding on, the gatekeeping of life-saving information is starting from the very beginning. Didn't you see that as part of the fear, though? Like, that wasn't... Because mm. in terms of how it's transmitted, they were not right, right? Like, wearing all that PPE and having yeah. to have a mask and gloves and stuff, that was not accurate to how the disease is transmitted. That was more a sign, I think, of the fact that it was a gay disease. It's mm-hmm. like that these people are diseased in some yes. way. And that they would corrupt you if you came near them or, you mm-hmm. know, were not protected. That had more to do with, yeah, that... That mm. side of society rather than yeah, how I think much they understood yeah, about the it's disease. It's more the fact that medical staff knew that it was serious and killing people sure. and infectious and yet people on the street, it was still just a rumour. It wasn't... Mm. We're, we're, but people in the hospital knew it was legitimate. Like, they didn't 
understand exactly what it was, but they knew it existed. Yeah, just one made me want to watch TV. But also, like, the the cruelty of how these people were being treated within the hospitals. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it's one thing if they thought, okay, we don't know how this is transmitted, but they did have all the PPE, yet they refused to bring in his dinner and left it at the door outside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they just left him in a room by himself, days on end, shitting in a bucket, like... Mm. And, you know, this show was very well-researched. All these are based on things that people have recalled. Like, Mm. this is how people were treated at the time. It's just fucking sickening that this Mm. was happening. And ultimately, as uh, I've heard thrown around the internet and Twitter recently in terms of, like, let's talk about the Trump presidency in the context of, of these statements. But the cruelty was the point. And the cruelty ultimately was the point of the show. And that was the bit when I talk about the revelation or the, the message it has in the end. That conversation that Jill has, when Jill, for the first time, I think, in the entire show, signs shows any side of, like, anger or spite, really, mm. is talking to Richie's mother about how this was her fault. And by mm. her, she means society in general, that... Yeah. If if homosexuals were treated with any sort of with any sort of equality to the rest of the world, humanity, this never yeah. becomes a problem. It, with without being shamed, without being having to be hidden away, without feeling like they had to keep it from their family, that they weren't in loveless households and came from loveless families, that this would have been addressed far quicker, quicker, and so many men would have not died needlessly. That was the moment that hit me the hardest when I understood mm. exactly what the show was doing. All the times that they were showing the cruelty of people or the the lack of care from society. When they're lying down the street trying to protest a pharmaceutical company that's profiting off um, HIV and AIDS medication and the people are, you know, calling them awful things. It's like, fuck, man. You look back on everything that happened and it's, uh, yeah, that that... Uh, yeah, that was the power of the show to me ultimately and why I give it five stars because it is, it's so important to understand the, the what's it cost when we stop treating people like people just because and, they're different? It's fucked. And this is, you know, you know, the treatment of homosexuals is no different now in some places of the world. Oh, absolutely. Got, there's so many places in the world that people will be treated this exact same way. Mm. Like, uh, I watched that documentary, Welcome to Chechnya, um, uh, last year, and, like, it's, you know, people are be- still being killed, being separated from their families just because they're gay. Like, you know, we think, you know, we're in our safe bubble here, yeah. but there is so many people mm. still suffering. Uh, <laughs> what would we like to talk about <laughs> next? Uh, uh, I, just, go on, just going back to that, the conversation with the mum though, like mm. that was, I when she turned around and she's like, he died last night. Fucking hell. That was like, I, I had a physical reaction yeah, to that Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you finally thought she was going to be able to say her goodbyes to Richie. And it was just ripped away from her in that second. And just like the callousness of that mother. I don't think I've hated a fictional character more ever. When yeah, the I journey was, was, of that character yeah. was very interesting to me. And I think it also speaks to the reaction I had in the scene you were talking about earlier, Brad, with the lying down in the street. Mm. And I was mm. like, when they're talking about like, oh, there's only a few of us at 
anymore. I was like, we're going to turn around the corner. There's going to be like a big crowd of queer people or like the people in the street when the police start becoming violent. There's going to be some kind of re- revolt. I'm like, Damas, that's not this show and that's not what happened. Like, get a grip. It's the same thing with the mum. Like, I wanted that big moment of, like, healing and for the way that she has seen the world her entire life to suddenly change because this has affected her personally. I, that, that's that's not the show and that's not what happened, you know, 90% of the time with these men and their families. That's one of the things where I talk about, like the the incredible writing, the the masterful way that RTD has written this show, is moments like that. So, or or the the bait and switches that happen that aren't cheap or they aren't for shock value. They are to make it hit home when it matters most. So. The equivalent is in the first episode, we're left with Richie at home with his family and his dad saying these very like casually sort of racist things or like mm. you're left going, geez, I'd hate to find out what happens when Richie's dad finds out that he's gay, right? But I don't think that way about Valerie. And yet along the way, I noted things like when Richie says, I love you to her on the phone, she sort of reacts in a weird way and like, yeah. you know, yeah. that loveless family that they're living in, right? And... It's not until that moment where they find out that he has AIDS and he's gay. And not that Richie's dad is like a hero or a saint for the way he reacts, but, you know, shows some humanity and compassion for his son, at mm. least a little bit. And she is looking, she's on the war path mm-hmm. to try and like blame someone and rationalize this and put this back in her own worldview at the cost of her own son's happiness and health that they turned who seemed to be a nice if naive character into a massive villain mm-hmm. was really really effective cuz i didn't that was when i was saying i wasn't sure how much like the last episode for a while was when i didn't know why they were following valerie so much they're literally single camera shots following her up and down the halls of the of the hospital i'm like why are we doing this why are we suddenly spending so much time with her i don't care about her how naive i was they knew what they were doing it was yeah. super effective at it. And then to do the opposite thing with Roscoe's family, where at the very start, and Roscoe's running away from his, you know, very religious family and what they might do to him if they sent him um, back to their homeland. Mm. And then to be uh, the dad asking for forgiveness. The bait and switch there as well. I don't know, just dramatically yeah. so powerful and so well yeah. handled, I think, the show. I Yeah, I also appreciated the acknowledgement that the AIDS crisis wasn't just affecting gay men in the Western world, that yeah, there were places all around the world that were being affected by this um, and people were being brutalised because of it, yeah. But, like, the comparisons that you're drawing, Paul, about how this is still happening around the world, um, when Roscoe's dad's talking about seeing how these people are treated like demons and left to die, it's like, mm. that's not particularly far removed with what was happening with Neil Patrick Harris and Colin, ultimately, only two episodes earlier Mm -hmm. and, you know, at the start of the season. Like, it's the same thing just done in a less obviously cruel way because they're not being necessarily called demons outright. Like, Mm. uh, yeah, there's the incredible power to this show. Yeah, and, like, speaking of Colin, like, what a beautiful (laughs) character and, like... And, How dare and, they, frankly? How yeah. fucking dare they? <laughs> like, the fact that, you know, they establish that he doesn't 
have sex with anyone and like you think mm. oh well, maybe he'll be the one to like look on as all his friends are dying and then for mm. him to be the first one and to happen in such a cruel brutal way it just like breaks you watching mm. this like, i i that yeah that was the first point that i just i lost it so yeah mm. Andrew and i were watching it on the couch and i was just like you know silently crying just devastated by what i was seeing and like how beautiful he was how beautiful his mum was how much how his friends, amazing was she yeah how that much his friends oh. like embraced his mum and and then he dies and i just it stopped and i went from silent crying just to legitimately just like heaving i couldn't break like i was so devastated which i think is indicative of how good this show was at how like attaching you to these characters so quickly he's such an endearing character he, you think that he's going to be the safe port during this whole thing and when he is removed that's when you know no one's safe and you have that fear that i'm sure that those characters did within the show no one's safe anything can happen um yeah, it was really very smart storytelling. So, just again, I just want to keep coming back to like the, what the ultimate purpose of this show was. We find out that Colin most likely got HIV from the boy he was sort of the guy, the son of the guy of the family he was boarding with, right? Mm. Yeah. And then we get that revelation when the mother of that guy is coming to the same hospital and is like refuting the idea that he could possibly be gay or blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And again, I look back on that scene just now, just remembering that scene as like more evidence of how much this might not have been a thing if that guy was just able to exist as the homosexual man he was. Mm-hmm. Um, the character of, of Colin is so well illustrated. This Richie to me, though, is... The funny thing about Richie is like Richie was not necessarily the most likable character. Colin was so easy to like and just adore because of his sort of innocence, right? Mm. Yeah. Richie was much harder to always be on the side of because he was frustrating and he was irritating. He was too smart for his own good. And he he was self-hating in so many ways. When he's talking up Tory policies about freaking removing, you know, gay references from kids' literature so they don't mm. get, you know, exposed to that lifestyle or whatever. And he's saying it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, just parroting the rhetoric like he heard at home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that ultimately the point of that is he is just the perfect illustration of the ultimate point of this show those two characters those two characters worked incredibly well for me how do you feel about the rest of the characters in the show how do you feel about roscoe how do you feel about ash how do you feel about jill i mean ash is probably the one we get to know the least out Mm. of the group Mm. i mean um I did. I did enjoy his uh, kind of relationship with Richie. I think mm-hmm. that he he really only exists as a foil to Richie, um, I, giving him his like first sexual experience and then ultimately being his boyfriend. Um, I really felt attached to Jill. Um, I it's just such a wonderful character, and you know. Um, looking back at the AIDS crisis, you know, women and especially lesbian women were 
the biggest resource to gay men at the time because, you know, obviously they weren't being affected by the disease, but they were part of the community. Um, so I think it's, it was really important that the show focused so much on her, on that character um, because I think without, you know, without that support, you know, it would have been even worse than it was at the time. Um, and, and Roscoe as well, like, uh, you know, as someone who was brought up in a very religious household and had a, a you know a difficult coming out story i i kind of felt that gateway into his story as well um mm. and uh yeah I, I and he brought a lot of humor and heart to that character mm. as well which I, I thought was great yeah i was certainly happy that jill wasn't just the token girl on the side um, mm-hmm. And that it felt like she's the protagonist at times. Like she really, had like, so much moment, like drive and momentum to the she's story. She's certainly the hero of the tale. That I mean, mm. I think that's undeniable. And yes, yeah, clearly representing all the women during that time that were helping, that were you know going to mm. hospitals. Um, I was recently reading about this woman, I think in Alabama, who she was, yeah, a straight woman, didn't really have a connection to the gay community, visited a hospital one day, saw how AIDS patients were being treated and just kind of went there every day, brought them food. It's like there's so many of those stories out there and I'm glad that they made Jill a real friend to these people. You could understand why they relied on her not only to look after them when they were sick, but to keep their secrets when those secrets needed to be kept. Um, Yeah, just wonderfully fleshed out. She didn't feel like an other. She really felt like, but not only part of the family, but the matriarch of that family. You mentioned that, you know, particularly gay women were important at this time. Did they, am I missing something? Did they expressly say that she was gay or otherwise? In the show, no, I, I, yeah, I just assumed she was straight, but yeah, yeah I, they don't I, say. they didn't really dwell on that sort of thing. I think that's kind of part of the point in terms of what her character represents as well. She's sort of almost like because she's not necessarily defined by her sexuality in any particular way, she's almost like just well, not just sorry, but she almost plays the role of like representing well. This is how society should have been operating in this situation. If you're gay, straight, or otherwise, mm. like this is the opposite of, or this is what, yeah, this is what this community needed when everybody else was failing them, basically. Um, Which is important too, because you need to show, you can't just show all the shit that was going on. You need to show the potential of what could have been happening Mm. that was being denied to these people as well. Yeah, and I think like when we finally meet her parents, she's like, oh, well, that's like what happens often when you are, brought up in a household filled with love. Mm -hmm. It was like you have the capacity to feel so much more empathy. You have time for people. You understand nuance and like have so much love already filled up within you that you have plenty to give away. Um, Yeah, so I thought it was nice to see them as well. I think I really like Roscoe's character. Did feel like he was the character that had the most potential to have more going on and somehow wasn't quite served enough by the story. Like mm. he was having this sort of side thing happening in some ways with like the Stephen Fry character and then the Margaret Thatcher moment. And like, I like these moments, but I didn't always necessarily feel like 
it tied back into something as cohesive as what was happening with Richie, what was happening with Jill mm. and Nick Colin until, of course, he's gone at the end of episode three. Yeah, That's certain- the corner that really stands out as the one that sort of got missed a little bit for me. Yeah, there's certain moments know- with Roscoe that I was, that's like the moments I was thinking, it's like, I feel like we've jumped yeah. like away from this character quite a bit and he pops back yes. in and I really enjoy every time he does. But like, yeah, particularly like the wanting to you know, attach himself to the Stephen Fry character um, in order to, like, better his life financially um, and then suddenly, like, changing his mind. I was like, if it was an eight-part series, I can imagine him having his own episode and then the moment, which is a great moment, I think, at the end of Roscoe's journey where he talks about, you know, he he feels like he should have got it. He, Mm. like, he was living very... Yeah, like carelessly um, and having fun and doing all the things that Richie was doing, doing way more than what Colin was doing. But yeah, what he says to his dad is like, it's not about anything other than just being fucking lucky. Um, Yeah, there's there's no judgment attached to it. It's just something that happened to certain people, yeah. Like, did you think that thematically you got enough from the way they resolve the Stephen Fry sort of storyline in that like it was over a couple of episodes. We had that moment where they went to dinner and then Stephen Fry's with these other two guys who also have their like boys with them mm. almost um, mm-hmm. like indicative like they talked about something about Greece or Rome earlier in the episode as well or in another um, episode. And then the Thatcher moment happens and yeah, he pisses in the coffee and like that's an awesome like fuck you Margaret Thatcher because she deserves it. Mm-hmm. But... Did it thematically, like, was as compelling or as complete, I guess, as some of the other thoughts in this show? I'm not sure it was. No, I don't think so. No. Mm. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to walk away from this show and say that the Roscoe storyline was the highlight or the (laughs) core of the show. Well, Um, it it might be the most, sometimes the most enjoyable part. It's just... mm -hmm. Whether it felt a little detached from what the rest of the show was doing, I guess. This is me being mm-hmm. so hypercritical for the sake of being critical. Mm. This is not really mm. a criticism of the show yeah. because it, is so, it was so enjoyable in its own way. What, what, did, what did you guys think of like the period detail? Did you enjoy like the needle drops and the costumes and all that kind of stuff? It felt authentically 80s. I mean, I think mm-hmm. so often now I watch something that's based or inspired by the 80s. And it's so like, you know, neons and off the shoulder and let's have some leg warmers. Like it just felt like, I thought it was really well done in terms of like costuming and that type of I thing. I agree. Um, yeah. And I guess this I did glow. enjoy the needle drops because I <laughs> don't really remember going, oh God, another needle drop, which I often do as well when those things are happening in the show. <laughs> yeah. There was a few like that because they've come up like two or three times in show we've already watched. Um, there's that Kate Bush song. That's the third um, time we've seen in a show we've reviewed. I love that song, though. I don't care. It should be in every show. <laughs> so every time it comes on, I'm like, oh, tune. Absolutely. Fuck yeah. Um, did you guys, as Doctor Who fans, appreciate uh, the Doctor Who scene in this? Yes. Absolutely. I was waiting for it. As soon as they were doing TV shows, I'm like, there's got to be a, there's gotta be a yeah. Dalek or the Doctor in here somewhere. There has to be. How could there not be? So was that a recreation of a real scene? I don't know classic Who enough to know for sure. I just know there were Daleks. There's no denying it's Doctor Who with his Daleks. Yeah, yeah. But it's very authentic to what like that 
is like if you watch classic Doctor Who up and through the 80s. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Uh, I was just, like, thing. happy that they let them use Daleks. I thought it was just going to be, like, a fake Doctor Who. And then when the Daleks came out, I was like, oh, that's cool. It just occurred to me now, actually, because I was thinking that, too. It's going to be a nod to Doctor Who, but not really Doctor Who. Um, but the... Because it's not the BBC. It's Channel 4 show. Mm. The BBC won the rights to Doctor Who and the Daleks. In fact, the BBC has a hard time getting the rights to the Daleks sometimes because I think the guy that created the Daleks owns them separately. I don't know where that's at now these days. <laughs> and so, like, even that's not a, a known... Yeah, it was good they were able to... They let Russell, like, you've earned the right to be able yeah. to get a Dalek in your show every now and again. <laughs> I think that's fair. Every By the way, you should watch Doctor Who, Paul. Uh, you should, I know, I know. And I think Russell T Davies' era is actually... Uh, a really, really, really good year of the show. There's some bad episodes, but there are some fucking Amazing. gems. I would like... say the best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on, on on average from episode to episode, you might be right. I am right. Maybe I'm always right, Rod. Um, were you familiar with any of these actors outside of um, the show? Like apart from obviously like Stephen Fry and Neil Patrick Harris? Zero. Um, the mum I've seen in a shit ton of stuff and I always love her when she's in like, um, the, Richie's the dad, Richie's dad too. I've seen stuff yeah, as well. Dad. I feel like he was in like Broadchurch or something like that. He's been in those sorts of shows. And probably feel like probably I've... all been in Doctor Who at some stage. <laughs> yeah, true. That's the thing. I feel like I've in fact, seen... I'm sure they have. I feel like I've seen, um, Jill in stuff, but I didn't I just kept thinking up. she was Tessa Thompson to begin with. When I was, <laughs> like, there's... Familiar Her accent w- has improved since Avengers, so that's good. It's <laughs> true. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, like, uh, Ollie Alexander's band Years and Years is like one of my all-time favourite musical acts, and I would definitely recommend listening to their back catalogue. They've got some amazing songs. Um, and he's done a few movies as well, um, uh, one called The Riot Club, uh, which is really cool about a bunch of, like, uh, privileged um, kids uh, from, like, a rich college in Britain who once a year go to a pub and just do whatever the fuck they want because they feel they're so privileged and then it goes, like, completely out of hand um, is one I would definitely uh, recommend watching. Um, and he also was in a Bell and Sebastian musical with... Um, uh, the girl from uh, Lemony Snicket's. I forgot her name, but anyway. Oh, so Emily yeah, Browning? He's, he's done some, yeah, Emily Browning, yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's done some interesting stuff, so I, I would seek it out. Okay. And Are you also in love Co- with him? I am in love with him. I thought also, so. <laughs> <laughs> also, Colin, after he died in the show, like, mm. I don't know, it's, sometimes when this happens where you just want to see that they're still okay, so I had to, yeah. like, look him up, and then I found out <laughs> he was, like, he was on The X Factor um, oh. And he's like an amazing singer. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. I went on to his Twitter page as well. I needed to know that he was still <laughs> with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just before we move on to final thoughts, there's a couple of Richie moments I wanted to ask you about. Just uh, difficult scenes. I've already talked about sort of how Richie wasn't always an easy character to like. Mm. But sort of moments or scenes I thought were extremely insightful into him. What, number one being where he went back to the Isle of Wight. Oh, and he's hitting on the bartender who he remembers mm. from high school. And then particularly when he takes him down to the beach and he is telling him just how in love he was with him, how he used to fantasize about him, how he used to masturbate mm-hmm. to the thought of him, mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. And the guy rightly calls out, that like, this is mm. not cool, dude. And mm. Richie agrees. 
And like that tells us a lot about where his headspace is, is about himself, Richie. Mm-hmm. But what did you feel about those moments? I, mean, I was just mo- so glad the guy didn't bash him. Like I was, that's where yeah. I thought it was going, and yeah. I, was, I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach. Yeah. It actually turned out as well as it could have, I think. For yeah. him, I think that's like first. I think Richie wanted to have a sexual encounter with him, um, with a straight man because that's a heartbreak in and of itself. But I also think when he realized it wasn't going there, he wanted. I feel like he was antagonizing that yeah. guy. Like he wanted to be punished in some kind of way. He had such low self-worth that either he wanted to have sex with him or he wanted that guy to make him feel really bad about himself. And when he didn't, um, yeah, I, it was a surprising kindness that I don't think he was quite prepared for. That's ultimately leads me to the final moment with Richie I really want to talk about, which is where he's talking about the fact that he continued to have unprotected sex with men once he mm. knew he had HIV and AIDS. And... The that's a difficult thing to try and forgive or rationale that being not malicious in some way or try and understand how a good person would make kill essentially kill other people, mm-hmm. right? And know that he's doing it. And the show ultimately is trying to explain the idea that he that was that self-hating nature, that fact that he felt like he had to punish himself and other men like himself. And that's why I continue to do it. But I did appreciate that the show didn't make that an easy answer either. Like when Jill hears this, she doesn't say outright, it's okay. It's like she's there for him, but she also mm. knows you can't, you know, coddle that sort of We behavior. also see What'd at the think? end when she's talking to um, Richie's mum, she clearly does have feelings about the fact that Richie did that because she brings it up mm. and she's like, your yeah. son killed people mm-hmm. because of this like so she, it yeah she give once again offers him kindness in that moment yeah um but yeah she does have feelings about it and i think it just speaks to like the reality of the situ- situation he's not a villain he's dealing with something that i can't even comprehend trying to deal with mm-hmm. you know you feel like you're being punished for something that everyone else isn't being punished for you hate yourself because of it. You want to punish others. Like, it's complicated. Um, yeah, um, you, you aren't given, yeah, like you said, easy answers. Yeah, I think that just speaks to how nuanced the show is. I don't think a lot of other shows or movies would have depicted that. I don't Agreed. think they would they would have brought that up. Yep. And I, I just really applaud the show for going there. Like, it didn't have to, but it did, and it just made it so much more complex. I agree. And you got to respect the show because it's a reality of the situ- of the time and the situation and even the situation now. And it's uh, even sort of his own justification. Or that there's that line, not necessarily justification, but the thing he says, that he's worried that people will remember how fun it was, just mm. how fun it was to live, you know, as a free, quote-unquote, mm. gay man in London at the time, you know, where he, they were able to just... Um, explore each other and themselves and whatever consequence free for a long time well i thought it was anyway mm. yeah it's it's not an easy thing to discuss no and it'd but be I, very I, easy to just push that aside and ignore it for the sake of telling your morally black and white story and to not do that is, is really yeah, worth i really like exploring. that you know moment that richie has with his mum where he's talking about how much fun it was because i think at the end of 
the show, like we've seen so much death um, and destruction of what was. And I think when we're talking about the AIDS crisis, there is, you know, a huge focus as there should be on all of that death and destruction. And I think it's unfortunate if we don't also remember the, like the vibrancy and how much love and passion and, you know, these were people living their lives in a way that like really they couldn't have 10, 20 years earlier. And it was amazing. And you, their lives were full. And the tragedy of that was that then it was taken away. But you still have to remember how full it all was. Yeah. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Paul. Do you have any final thoughts for us? Any little side notes? Uh, just, I don't think I've cried this much in anything. So my my previous record was, which I think I've mentioned on the show before, is the final episode of Dawson's Creek. Mm. <laughs> um, R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. Me too, Paul. Me too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this, like, I was crying. It finished. I was still crying. Uh, it was day ago now, and like today, it's various points of the day, I was thinking back to it and started tearing up again. So, like, I'm oh, sorry, I yeah. thought you Dawson's Creek for a second. No, oh, yeah, also that, right. also that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Every it's day. been like 20 years, but yeah, that still is affecting me. But, um, yeah, so I, I, my big recommendation to people is like, make sure your tissue box is next to you while you're watching this show. Mm-hmm. Um, it will get some use. Damask? Um, I also just, uh, just non-stop been crying or like intermittently crying since watching it. I, like when I finished it, I couldn't sleep that night. I think I went to bed about 3am and I was in bed from about 1130. Like I just couldn't stop thinking about everything and I was just so emotionally distraught. So yes, mm-hmm. I concur with Paul on that. Um, yeah, my, my recommendation is don't watch this the last thing before you go to bed as well. Like, yes, I made yeah, that watch, mistake. Watch it on your lunch break. Uh, <laughs> but I made that mistake with episode three, and then I had nightmares all night. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, like, watch this, and then just like watch a comfort show afterwards. Like, watch a community, watch a Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to mention the moment that did sort of bring me to tears while I was eating my lunch was the the moment where Jill is went back to the hospital and was just like walking on in this stranger that she's never met mm. before and just that i just that image of that man who is as devastated as he was um by the disease and then the just the kindness i don't know it mm. just fucking broke me <laughs> it really gotcha. did yeah just sort of summed everything up yeah also i thought yeah. like he was only in it for one episode but neil patrick harris was so good in that role particularly i yeah. really struck me during the the mold kind of monologue when he's talking about this yeah. mold in his kitchen which could have been a bit of a naff little uh, metaphor blah, 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 blah. Um, but he nailed every single word of that I was devastated by the end of it I kept thinking when they introduced his character right there's a, there's a few minutes where he doesn't actually talk and I kept mm. thinking it's like I'm trying to think if I've seen it Neil Patrick Harris do a British accent before in retrospect, he's done a series of unfortunate events. He's done a bunch mm. of different accents. <laughs> but I was like, I don't know if he has. How's this going to turn out? And then he was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> That's right. He's do an you, actor. He knows what he's doing. Do you think that this film, this show will get a lot of awards attention next year? Or do you think because it's not American, 
I would have said yes until the fucking Golden Globes decide to completely forget about Michaela Cole and yeah, but um, you don't count the the Golden Globes is like trash. The Golden Globes has always been trashed. It is is like true. I don't understand why anyone pays attention to it. I'm That's more talking point. about like critics awards, mm. uh, yes. Emmys, like yeah, timing is timing is a bitch on this one because uh, it could easily be forgotten. Who knows how much the world will have. What yeah. the world have gone through twelve months mm. later, but yeah, I, I would bloody hope so. I think it's definitely a chance. It, it seems got to be. Potential. Yeah, it's mm. rave reviews. I think you mm. might have shared on Twitter the five star Guardian review, which is when I was like, "Oh shit, I need to start watching the show." Mm. Um, I only have a couple of side notes. Mm-hmm. The la thing, you know, the la uh, thing yeah. that started <laughs> in the first episode, mm-hmm. was cute and was wearing me down real quick, though. Right <laughs> no. at end episode two. And then episode three, I was like, this, I am not liking this thing. You this need really more naff. gay friends. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> but, I think for about, sorry, three years, my friends and I would always just be like, go on, go on. I don't even remember where it started, but it, yeah, anyway, go on, sorry. But, that, on. but that's not necessarily a non sequitur. La is a non sequitur. Anyway, the, the thing was, in retrospect, it has an incredible power for being that thing that just kind of stopped. Like, mm. the innocence mm. was gone. The happiness was gone. I'm pretty sure it probably stopped after or not long after Colin died. But mm. it just, I realized by episode five, it's like they haven't done that in a long time. Mm. I think that says a lot about where these characters are. And they didn't return to it either. There was no cute little throwback or nod to Lara in the last episode. It's just gone. Just yeah. fades away. Um, and that made me like it <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> also, the musical that Jill's in... That's like a reven- revolutionary France musical. Is it's not Mis? a real pun. Wasn't it Les Mis? No, because Les Mis is not set, set du- during the Revolutionary War. It's set during the Student Revolution. Huh. And the Gaiety and stuff, that's not a part of Les Mis. Have you not seen Les Mis, Paul? I've seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not Les Mis. I'm thinking I have seen one musical about the French Revolution and that was A Tale of Two Cities. I was in it in high school and this song is not from it. I would remember it. That is a made-up French Revolution musical that they made for the show. <laughs> they sold it I though because really I thought confused. it was a real musical. Yeah. I, I, I tried to look it up. I was like, is this something that I should know about? Mm. I have not missed anything. So, that's good to know. <laughs> least favourite and favourite episodes. Why are we even doing this? What's your least favourite episode, Paul? Okay, so I refuse. Um, so <laughs> what I've done is because uh, I knew I was going to get asked this question. Um, I'm just ranking. Well, we have a the format. Ep- yeah. I'm just <laughs> I'm just ranking the episodes on how much I cried. So, okay. Sure. Uh, I'm doing it in this order: five, three, four, two, one. From the most five, three, four, two, one. Yeah, that's that's that that holds up. Yeah. Uh, Damascus, do you want to do the same <laughs> rating system or do you have a least favourite um, favorite episode? I don't, I don't have the rating system and yeah. I also don't have a least favourite episode. Because it's all Fine. like they all need each other so much. I'll, I'll do the work then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to say my least favourite episode, and this is me using least favourite in a very specific way, is episode mm. three because it was the most heartbreaking. Oh, okay. In terms of right, least favorite, not because my it's, face it's not just cool. broke for a second, <laughs> and then I quickly put it back together. Oh my god, it scared me so much. Because it's not anything close to a bad episode. There literally is no bad episode of the show. Yeah, uh, but like the one that I'm having the hardest time returning to is episode three. 
Mm. And my mm. favorite episode, I'm going to give to episode five um, because of how it went from being my least favorite episode for a while into putting the entire show into focus mm. and just sort of solidifying this as a five-star show that I think everybody needs to see. It's just too powerful to ignore, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to do hot or not? Is it we're going to steal that one asked, from? I haven't said my favorite yet. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you did weren't doing that. Sorry. What's your okay. favorite? No, no. My favorite is episode three because I still haven't yeah. recovered. Yeah. I think I'll. It's an episode that I'll remember forever, and I will think about mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, I return to my previous question. Are we doing hot or not? Or? We can, but I think they're all hot, right? I was going to say, yeah. who's, who's the not is more the question than this. The mum is not because she's got a dark soul. Everyone else, is, <laughs> everyone else is hot. The evil boss at the suit place that fires Colin. Oh, oh fucking yeah. Mr. Hot. About yeah. I'm so glad Colin was saved by those like AIDS magazines. Thank God. Yeah, I didn't want to watch that that. scene happen. It was an interesting moment too at the very end where at the end of that episode where Mr. Hart, I think it's the end of episode three actually, Mr. Hart is being escorted out of the toilets by the police, right? Mm -hmm. Because I had two reactions. My first reaction was, yes, fuck you, Mr. Hart. And then my second reaction was, oh no, this shouldn't be illegal if that other boy is of age. (laughs) This mm. is sucks. <laughs> this is they're having to hide it and do that. Like, and ultimately that comes back to the whole. I had of the, show. the exact same reaction. I was like, "Yeah, I'm so fucking glad this is happening to him, but it shouldn't. So that's wrong." <laughs> it was very confusing. <laughs> What's well, confusing moment? Uh, I would normally ask predictions, hopes, concerns. This show is not getting a second season. If they announced it's getting a second season, mm. I mean, I'd, I'd want to know what that is. I can see mm. how they could make another show about quick actors, but I, it's not happening. Mm. Uh, do you have anything are you looking forward to more Russell T Davies stuff is there anything I don't even know what, I don't know what to ask you I just need <laughs> I a break I, I just need a break and a cry and a nap for about five years and then I'll come back to whatever he's doing next because I'm just not ready for anything you're that devastated by RTD that you are going to just take a break from him until then. <laughs> this show was so good, s- I'm never going to watch anything he does ever again. Unless it's about something really happy, I just Go can't right who? now. Because I know he'll do anything to break my heart and I'm just not up for it. Oh, yeah. He has ruined you a few times now, hasn't he? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, in a way that, like, for decades. You know, like I watch it and then just never recover again. Mm. So, really, I did it to myself. I should have known. <laughs> That's our glowing recommendation to watch the RTD era of Doctor Who. By the way, mm, okay. uh, <laughs> <Noted>. <laughs> just start. Yeah, it's uh, it's worth. I can send you the episodes to get you in. Like I know how to entrap people on this show. It's not hard. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you have any any thoughts on what happens next? Do you imagine what happens to Roscoe and uh, and Jill after all this and Ash? Well, I I I feel like Jill would have become like a a major advocate for the AIDS movement. I don't mm. think she would have ever stopped helping those people. Um, and she probably, yeah, devoted her whole life to it. I don't see her having, like, a relationship or anything. I think this would have been her life going forward. Um, and uh, I don't really know what would have happened to Roscoe and Ash. I hope they would have stayed, stayed happy and healthy. I hope Jill held on to that apartment because that would be worth a fucking bomb yeah. in London these days. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, that would be worth a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I am reminded that I need to catch up. I need to get to years and years 
uh, even though it's been not necessarily the most well-received Russell T Davies show, I, I owe him a chance at this point. Plus, it's got Emma Thompson in it. How can it not be good? <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers come from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. You can find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damascus. You can find me on Twitter at Maskimo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Paul, do you want to promote your podcast and tell listeners where they can find you? Okay, yeah. So we are the Swapcast Podcast. Just search that on any of the social medias or go to the swapcastpodcast.com. I've also got an episode of another show called T2 Judgment Day uh, Podcast, uh, which is a podcast that um, picks like a genre of film or any kind of pop culture and then compares it to Terminator 2. It's a great so, podcast idea. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, they did a body swap episode and I came on for that one. It's a show that runs out in New York, so that was a, a fun one to do. Cool. So, um, yeah, uh, look out for that one. But, yeah, definitely the swapcastpodcast.com on all the socials will tell you wherever I am. I can't imagine many films compare favorably to T2 Judgment Day, which is pretty much a perfect action film. Mm. Yeah, oh, well... <laughs> Paul's grace. <laughs> no, no, I, I really like T2. But I, th- I've, I think some of the films we put forward gave it a good run for its money. Fair enough. Um, when you mentioned the, the, the name of that podcast, for a second I was like, is this going to be a show where they compare and rate different teas from the T2 store? Like, <laughs> like that'd be a good podcast. No, um, it wouldn't, that would not be a good podcast. <laughs> Uh, Paul, thank you once again for coming on the show. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. And thank you for bringing us a show that we actually like for once. Yeah, like, thanks. I mean, you destroyed us emotionally inside, but at least it wasn't a piece of shit. So oh, just wait for Upload Season 2. It will bring it all back around. <laughs> you will have to. You. If, you, if somehow there's a body swap, and actually that show could have a body swap in it, and you review it on your podcast... I will come on your podcast and watch it, but I will not take my podcast with that trash ever again. It's not happening. Uh, next episode, Damask and I will be back to discuss Bump Season 1. For those who aren't from Australia, Bump is an Australian television series. For Australians, we've reviewed very little Australian television. I don't know where you can watch, watch it internationally yet. If I find out, I'll let you know. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.